0: What's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is the one and only Danny Trejo. He's an actor and a restaurateur, plus he happens to probably have the most recognisable face in Hollywood history. He's just written a new memoir about his life, and today we get to hear his craziest stories from seven decades of doing mad shit. I expect to learn what it was like to meet Charles Manson in jail, who the hardest guy on set at Conair was, how Danny nearly ended up with the death penalty, whether he actually robbed Antonio Banderas, how he saved Kiefer Sutherland from a psychopath, and much more. Like, what is there to say? You know, it's Danny Trejo. The guy is a living legend. And for all that he was a hard man in his early years and then played even harder men, I suppose, on screen in his roles, he is very rounded. He's got a lot that he wants to try and give back. And I'm super glad that he's got round to writing this memoir. And I'm sure that you're going to really enjoy this episode today. If you do, please make sure that you've hit the subscribe button. It is the only way that you can make sure you do not miss an episode when they go live every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday with the most fascinating humans in the world that have been on death row and robbed Antonio Banderas at the same time, maybe. Anyway, in other news, this episode is brought to you by My Protein, the world's number one sport nutrition brand with over 12 million customers worldwide their clear way is by far the best protein shakes that I've ever had in my life. It looks and tastes like juice, but has more protein in the most protein shakes. And it's so light that you can sip it even during a workout. So if you tend to have protein shakes and they make you feel bloated or uncomfortable, this is the solution for you. That was where I was. And now I look forward to having this drink multiple times per day. Everyone that I've converted to the church, the church of Clearway, has also reported the same. Their lean cookies are awesome. It's like a a cookie that has essentially so fewer carbs than it should do. There's some sort of wizardry going on there, and it's got 25 grams of protein in it. Also, their entire apparel range, all of the men's clothing, the women's clothing, the leggings, the tops, everything is 37% or greater off by going to bit.ly slash modernwisdom. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash modernwisdom and use the code modernwisdom at checkout. It gets you the maximum discount available. So if there's super secret discounts going on, you will always get the biggest savings that you can. bit.ly slash modernwisdom and modernwisdom at checkout. This is available worldwide. So no matter where you are, America, the UK, Australia, you can get this deal. Go and upgrade your sports nutrition game. Today, in other other news, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. There might be something which is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, who you can start communicating with in under forty-eight hours. Tons and tons of Modern Wisdom listeners have taken up this offer. And it makes me feel really happy to be helping people to take charge of their mental health, to improve the texture of their own daily existence, to work through some of the difficulties and the challenges that they've got going on. Maybe you need some help working through challenges in your relationship, or perhaps it's a problem at work, or maybe it's even just stuff that you've not dealt with since you were a kid, and you think, this is holding me back. I really want to talk to someone about this all of these challenges are things the team at BetterHelp can help you with. They even do couples counseling if that is what you want. Their service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't even have to leave the house. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. Over a million people have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional through BetterHelp, and you can get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash modernwisdom. That's better, betterhelp.com slash modernwisdom. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Danny Trejo. Danny Bloody Trejo in the building. How are you doing, man?
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Pleasure to have you here. Are you the most killed actor in Hollywood history?
1: Yeah, they've got me. I I wasn't. The last time I counted, I was 68. I think I'm about 90 now.
0: But it's kind of ironic, right? Because you've been killed on screen a lot, but somehow managed to make it out of your life so far alive.
1: (laughs) That's what everybody says. (laughs) They didn't. I remember when the pandemic, everybody was scared of the, not the pandemic, everybody was scared of the millennium. Oh, the millennium, 2000, the millennium, the millennium. And they asked me, what do you think about the millennium? I said, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't supposed to get out of the
0: 60s. I don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm on God's time.
0: I've been on God's time since 1968. Borrowed time, man. Yeah, this is extra time. It's weird, right? Because... Most people's impression of what, like, a tough guy or a, a hard lad or a guy from the streets is, it comes from movies. You know, not everybody gets to see yeah. those people in the flesh, but then most of the people that play those roles aren't from the streets. So it's different <laughs> for you because you've sort of earned your stripes. You are, and then you get to display it as well, right?
1: You know, it's really funny what you just said. When I was trying to write my book, I, I kept getting people that were like, English literature majors they just it they would change a few words and it didn't sound sound like me it sounded like a like a like an English lesson and so so uh uh Donald Logue who is a friend of mine we've been friends since 1991 and uh, uh he was he was raised in calexico uh, uh, right by the Mexican border okay his 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 town, crosses the mexican border you know and so so uh, uh uh it was like when we started talking as friends he not only knew that he was like a, an english literature major but he he knew the streets in fact his hometown had nothing but alleys so so it was like we understood each other and we started writing it and it just flowed i gave it to my uh kid's mom maeve I read this, and she says it sounds like I'm talking to you. And I, thought, okay, cool. Then that's what we
0: wanted. Yeah. What was the process like? Writing that? About two year and a half years.
1: Just we would sit together out in my backyard, or or driving around, or just wherever. We just, we just stayed kind of like hung real close, and for about two and a half years, almost three years, and put it together.
0: That's awesome, man. I had uh, Mark Manson on, who's a, an author that's just written Will Smith's memoir slash biography slash autobiography so him and will smith have worked together for the last three years yeah. and he said yeah. exactly the same thing just live together it wasn't go into a yeah. room for 13 hours talking to a tape recorder and then someone leaves hey, it's exactly. this long very emergent process
1: hey we, i don't I would, sometimes we would like we would like wake up you know he'd be on one couch i'd be on the other we we'd fell asleep, you know, I mean, it was just, and it was amazing because, you know, he's got two boys. I got two boys. I got, I got a, my daughter. She's, you know, they're all grown now. So we, we were able to, able to kind of hang.
0: So rolling it back right to your childhood, you had this uncle that really shaped your childhood, right? Like what lessons did you learn from him?
1: Everything learned. I learned what I thought was how to be a man and it was, but it only was, it only was a, good deal in San Quentin <laughs> you know it was only a uh uh you know I learned I, I learned how to survive in a in a unsurvival world you know it's like uh San Quentin is kind of the the epitome of of you're not going to come out you know and if you do you you were either a predator or you were prey you know a lot of prey doesn't come out.
0: So what were some of the lessons? What did he, what were the, the tactics and the tools that he gave you to make yeah. sure that you weren't prey?
1: Well, don't, don't ever fight down, you know, don't ever be a bully. Don't take a step backwards ever. You know, I mean, just never, it doesn't matter. It, it You know, it's it, it, San Quentin prison. It's kind of like, there are no tough guys, People think they're these tough guys. They're no such thing as a tough guy in prison. Because, first of all, uh, four inches of steel will take care of a tough guy in a minute. You know. Now, I am not going to... If I sock uh, somebody, they're going to sock me back. And then we're going to fight. And then we're going to roll around. And then we're going to get shot. Okay? We're going to get caught. So if, if I have a resentment or I'm angry or somebody disrespected me and I come up behind them and stab them three times and walk away. I didn't get caught and I won, you know, I won. And that, that enhanced my reputation and now, out Well, that was a cowardly act. Yeah, but I'm still alive. You, you tell know.
0: this story. I think it was after you moved to a school and somebody started up against you and then there was a big group of their friends outside and you yeah. mentioned something like you were prepared to go to a level of violence that yeah. they, they weren't, weren't at all.
1: Yeah, they, have, they didn't have no... The, 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 average, the average person on the street doesn't know the level of violence that is in San Quentin. It's ridiculous. A fight, i fight. I'll fight you. Let me you see, find something I can beat you over the head with. And people don't understand that... The bottom line to an argument is a murder. You know the bottom line. I'm not. You know I. I've watched people argue, but basically, I have never seen anybody killed except for in prison that didn't start with an argument. You know, in prison, I always say it's the most right now place in the world because you can die because somebody. That you didn't even know didn't get a letter or got a letter. You understand? You know, it's like bad or whatever. And it's like all of a sudden somebody comes running down, bang, 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 and it stabs you. It, you know, why'd that happen? You know, and so so it's like uh I don't I don't fight, I don't argue, I don't I don't argue with people I'm, because I know it's like, wait a minute, man, I don't I don't want I don't know if he knows that the bottom line to an argument is a murder. I don't know how bad he wants to win this argument. So, so see, because in prison, if we argue and you win, then I walk away thinking, wow, that guy made me look like a punk. I mean, he really did. I'm really a punk. Everybody thinks I'm a punk. Uh-oh, I might get raped. Watch out. Let me fix this. So that's, so that's what you're taught. So it's like, wait a minute, it doesn't happen.
0: The cost yeah. of losing an argument and both people still being alive is too great yeah. to rep, the yeah. reputation of the one that lost.
1: Yeah, exactly. Wow, that was good. That was a good I'm, I'm going to write that down and I'm not going to give you credit for it. No?
0: That's fine. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Wasn't there a story about how a Mexican gang rivalry started over a pair of shoes?
1: Yeah, that's the Mexican Mafia. Shoe wars. It was uh uh pie face. this this uh Mexican mafia member gave a pair of shoes that he stole uh from somebody from a different area. Like there was north and south. There's there's southern Mexicans and there's northern Mexicans. Southern Mexicans are are uh, uh Mexican mafia, la M. The the northern Mexicans are La Familia Nuestra. They're another. So Pie Face stole a pair of shoes from one of the norteños, one of the guys from, and he gave it to Robot Sales, who was one of the leaders of the Mexican mafia. He gave them. And so when the guy from the northern saw his shoe, hey, those are my shoes, blah, blah, and um, robot ended up saying, yeah, we'll take them then. And so the robot ended up going into there, so stabbing both him and his cell partner. And so that's how that started.
0: For a pair of shoes? For yeah, a pair of shoes, yeah. So what, were the, what was one of the biggest robberies that you were a part of when you were younger?
1: Uh, oh, God, man. I would say uh, Circle Liquor was... Pretty good. And then uh, Dale's Market, I think. Dale's Market was a pretty big market in the neighborhood, and we took that down and it was a, got away with it.
0: How did that come about?
1: Just we needed money. You know, it, you know that was it was funny. It's like this was this therapist or this girl that knew about therapy. We were talking, and she said, Danny, you have a robbery mentality. I said, What are you talking about? I said, You always think there's money coming. robbers i need money oh go get something you know (laughs) so life is not an atm me life is not an atm machine
0: but i suppose it is when you can go and pick it off the streets as a young guy if you need money then there's a corner shop there's a corner shop there's a man on the street there's a whatever
1: exactly you know until somebody shoots you and you gotta remember that that especially nowadays, I feel sorry for people that are committing crimes now because everybody got guns. There was a time in America when you know only the bad guys and the cops had guns. <laughs>
0: <Now>. <laughs> the shopkeeper's got one and his daughter's got one. And Grandma,
1: grandma's, grandma's got an automatic, yeah. you know, nine millimeters, so you better cool it, you know. And but you know, good, bad, it's terrible because we keep having these, you know, these uh mass shootings, you know. And, and I'm sorry, but but I'm one of the people that say automatic weapons are only good for killing people. That's it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not against for not, automatic weapons. The only thing they're good for is killing people. You can't shoot rabbits with them.
0: Didn't you end up robbing Antonio Banderas? By no, accident. I don't know how everybody says that. I never robbed Antonio. Uh, there's Where's a, the st- who's who's trying to stitch you up with a story of Antonio I, I love Bandera? Love Are they start, trying to start Antonio. a Mexican-Spanish war here or something like that? <laughs> uh, you
1: no, know, but but uh, uh, Cheech Marin went to a school called Alamany. I went to a school called San Fernando. We used to take money away from the kids from Alamany, nice Christian Catholic school, you know what I mean? But... But uh, but I never robbed. Geez, I love Chicha.
0: <laughs> That's funny. So how come if the Mexican mafia is floating around, how come you never joined it?
1: My uncle Gilbert, bless his soul, said, "Don't get into any any prison gang." He said, "Once you get into a prison gang, you have dedicated your life to being incarcerated." You know, not just to the gang, but to the state of California. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And, uh, most, uh it's unbelievable. And so I, I just never, you know, they, they were great. Um, I knew them all. I mean, you know, uh, Edward James, Almo, I saved Edward James almost because I knew some guys, you know, and uh, and uh, he won't admit it, though, you know what I mean? But, but, uh, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like, you know, I told him when he was going to make that movie, don't, you know, come on me and Eddie Bunker, the guy that got me into the movies, right? Cause Eddie knew Joe Morgan. They were best friends. And Joe Morgan ran the Mexican mafia. And so, so Eddie Bunker, uh, and I talked to Edward James when he had asked me to be in the movie American me and, and, uh, we asked him, "Did you talk to Joe?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." And it was a lie; he didn't. You know? and he kept saying that that he made this movie very theatrical. And I says, you, "Joe Eddie, you're not dealing with theatrical people here, you know, and uh, you know you're dealing with guys that wake you up in the middle of the night and slit your throat." And he was saying, "No, but you know," but he wouldn't listen, so. Got in big trouble. In fact, he got in so much. If, if after American Me, you don't, you didn't see Edward James until they gave him this break on the, on the Mayans. And it's funny. Any film that Edward James is on won't call me on it because, you know, he kind of is still, you know, as I understand, you know, it's like he's scared of me. Uh, I think it's funny.
0: <laughs> all right so you get through the youth system and then you end up in big boy prison after a bit of time what was like the that. big boy prison yeah exactly yeah, you're out of the kindergarten you're into the proper school now yeah, what was the easy. toughest prison wing that you ended up in eventually
1: well you, you, you talk about solid quentin folsom tracy they're all they're all tough prisons and uh uh uh, B section in prison it's like you're just locked up, and and uh, I used to, I, they used to let me out the yard of B section, and it was funny because, because uh, uh, the guards would always tease me, and and I, there's two baseball mitts, and and the, the baseball, right, and, and the, the guard, hey Trejo who are you gonna play, who are you gonna play catch with, because <laughs> I'm bought them by myself, your mother. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, how do you, why you like to play catch with this bullet? You little bastard! You know, they would, you know, we'd like bantering. It was just, you know, but I'll, I'll never forget San Quentin B section. You're right on the bay. You're you're right on the bay, and so there's a two a chain link fence and another chain link fence down there, and it's the gun towers. You're not gonna get out of there. They're gonna shoot you. But it's probably the best view in the prison, you know. <laughs> And But you're by yourself. But I used to sit there. And there was this song that came out. It goes, sitting on a dock in the bay, wasting time. And I would sit there, and I go, my God. I wonder if he wrote that. Did you write that for me, God? You yeah, know I mean? I mean, <laughs> let go. And I used to, it was just a. And, uh, and the, and it was funny, the guard knew that that song, he would play it and they would, uh, he'd be, and he'd go, hey, hey, was that for you, Trail? <laughs> here, I'd give him the finger. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, I think that's the only time I felt any kind of, uh, oh, why am I here? You know what I mean? Otherwise I'd be into it. You, you don't think of anything else, but, but, uh
0: the beautiful view but especially when you've been in the system for a long time right when that's when your friends are there your community's there your culture's there everything you know what
1: i went to juvenile hall there was so many mexicans in juvenile hall when i went i thought mexicans were supposed to go you know, to the rite of passage or something you know because it was all there was mexican-american african-american and poor whites no no rich white they you know, Rich White ain't going to, you know, but, and uh, and most of the white guys in Juvenile Hall kind of gravitate towards the Mexicans because there's not enough of them to stand alone. Now there is because there's so many poor white guys. It's not like <laughs> we're even now. <laughs> you know, the world, the world's made us all poor.
0: So you met. Charles Manson in prison, didn't you? What was that in story? Jail. Can you tell in us the that? County jail. In the county jail,
1: but let me tell you, Charlie wasn't the guy that you saw on the TV specials. All right, he was a a oh god. He was like five foot four, five foot five, little scrawny. Uh, he was poor, kind of like a bum, really. He he had a he had a a, a string for a belt. He Tied his pants with a string because he couldn't afford a belt, you know. And, and and everybody else, we dressed, you know, cool ironed our pants and and uh, and so the some of the prisoners were gonna take advantage of him because they take advantage of anybody that's small. And uh, we found out that he could hypnotize you, so we we let him sleep in front of our cell to to you know to make sure that nobody would hurt him. And and uh, he got us loaded on weed. And and three of the guys in the cell. Everybody else had like six guys in their cell. We only had three because we were special. <laughs> I had two killers with me. So, so so uh, and, then, uh, and then he got us loaded on weed. And I said, well, get us loaded on heroin. So the three of us tried to get loaded. He got two of us loaded on heroin. One guy just woke up. And afterwards, I asked him, how come you how come couldn't do him? And he says, he asked, did you ever get loaded on heroin? He goes, no. Well, your mind doesn't know how to work. Do you understand? Your mind doesn't know how to react. So if I tell you to do something while you're hypnotized and you haven't done it before or you don't know how to do it, uh, you'll just wake up. And that's what kept happening.
0: Yeah, so you're so saying my, that he got he got you guys loaded up on heroin or weed, but there was oh, no absolutely. heroin or weed in the room, uh, you, right? He was doing this purely through, through hypnosis.
1: People know when I get loaded on heroin, my eyes, I get red under my eyes, and it's like literally, uh, the first thing, blah, you you throw up, you dump, and I mean, uh, me and Chato, was like it's like we both got kind of blah. He dumped in the sink, I dumped in the in the toilet, and looked through, hey, what you know, and and. Oh, everybody was like shocked and and this uh 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 Johnny Ronnie Cruz he was like well what happened you, you, you he never gotten loaded and and uh boy i kept i you know i was sorry when they transferred charlie out
0: <laughs> you've basically got unlimited access to anything that you want cuz he can just keep on hypnotizing you back yeah, into it absolutely. what was he in for do you know why he was there
1: yeah I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, He was nothing, nothing of any, you know, because he was a petty thief. He was, he wasn't, uh, you know what, and not to speak ill of the dead, but Charlie couldn't have done that any place, any time, but right there. And my friend, George Perry knew him in Frisco, knew him in Oakland. Okay. And he was a, he was a, a, a scrawny little hippie. And, the girls that he got, Linda Kasabian, all of them were broken, you know. All of them, they were up in Oakland and San Francisco, being ripped off by the pimps and and raped by the pimps, and and so. He came around with a big bus and some acid and said, "You know, let me lead you." So it was kind of like they looked at him like. Yeah, he's the Messiah, you know.
0: They were already vulnerable. They were already primed for somebody were, like him to come in and save already, them. They
1: were so broken, you know, and so needed needed somebody to take care of them. Yeah. You
0: know. In the same way that you could have done with a bit of extra heroin or weed in, in prison. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So you ended up um you ended up looking at the death penalty at one point. Yeah. What's the story behind that?
1: We we um it was cinco de mayo, nineteen sixty eight. And Cinco de Mayo to a Mexican, a real Mexican spell backwards is get bail money because, you know, you're going to do something stupid, you know, you tequila. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so there was like, you know, you had 2000 drunk Mexicans in Cinco de Mayo and a riot. When, when a riot starts, Ray Pacheco socked a free person, death penalty, uh, uh, when a riot starts, it is like an explosion. Everybody. Any resentment you have, you start taking care of it. Any, You just start, you hate prisons, or you start breaking glass. So there's a huge explosion of violence. Henry kicked the coach. Strawmire. He kicked, kicked Coach Strawmire. It was alleged that I threw a rock and hit Lieutenant Gibbons. And, but there's no proof. It's like, you know, somebody said that. And, and uh, but all three gas chamber offenses. So when we went to the hole, they took, out of 2,000 inmates, they took three of us to the hole. And uh, we're sitting there. And I remember Henry yelling, hey, Danny, they're going to top us off. Meaning they're going yeah. to, yeah, I think so. And, and I remembered all this, all my life. Grammar school, middle school, high school, potential. Danny has a lot of potential, but he can't sit still. Danny has a lot of potential, but he won't stop talking. Danny has a lot of potential, but he won't stop doing burglaries. I'm all this. I had all this potential, and uh, and I remember sitting in a cell naked because you're naked, and I'm 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 looking. Somebody got got uh shit and scraped it on the wall and said, God sucks. And I remember, okay, God, you know, what happened to all that potential? I remember thinking about where'd my potential go? And I remember not wanting to die screaming and yelling and, and begging and and peeing my pants. I said, dear heavenly father, just let me die with dignity. I'll say your name every day and I will do whatever I can for my fellow inmates. And I said, "Inmate, I never thought I was getting out of jail," and uh, and by the grace of God, he said, "Okay, punk, I'm gonna give you a chance here." DA reject rejected it. Okay, I get this out of here. You guys deal with it. So they topped us, and uh, August twenty third, nineteen sixty nine. I'll never forget the month before uh, the the. The parole agent that was on the board, Mad Dog Madden, that was his real name, Mad Dog Madden, said, Trey, we're going to give you a chance to spread your wings. You've been good for 11 months. You haven't gone for 11 days without some kind of beef. So uh, get out of here and bring us back a life sentence. Because I only had a 10 year top. But I'll never forget that bring us back a life sentence so we won't have to bother with you anymore and and I, 30 days later August 23rd I I walked out of prison and I I was shocked and uh, but I kept remembering you know that all right I didn't I didn't make a deal with God to get me a good job or not to let me get caught sneaking into my house cuz I was late or you know I said, let me die with dignity, you know, so, you know, I might do that. And I asked him a couple of months ago, how am I doing, God? He said, you're almost out of hell, trail so keep it up,
0: you know, so. Borrowed I'm time, man, good. borrowed time yeah. ever since. I told you, I told you, it's like, it's it, you know what I mean? It's like, take me,
1: now. I, I, my kids are great, I got great insurance, they'll be all right, you know what I mean? It's like uh, everything good that has ever happened to me has happened as a direct result. Of helping someone else, so you know I what, what oh, I got it. You, know, I'm cool.
0: You know, I just I'll keep helping. Have you ever watched Peaky Blinders, the series? No. Okay, so it's a British series, really huge. Some massive actors in it. Tom Hardy's in it. Some of the huge guys. And um, it's just after World War One, and in uh-huh. it, these guys have gone off and they've been in the Battle of the Somme, right in World War One, and then yeah. all of them are sure that they're going to die. They get trapped in a tunnel and they're fighting the mm-hmm. the, the Germans hand to hand. And they're all certain they're going to die. And they make a deal with each other down in one of the tunnels that's collapsed. And they say, if we get out of this, everything after that is extra. Yeah. And that's exactly that's- the same as the situation that you I had. Both-
1: there. Hey, I wasn't supposed to get out of the sixties by the grace of God. And it's funny, I, you know, when I had brain surgery, that this, uh, this, uh, doctor, he said, I've never taken more blood out of somebody's head. Cause I, I, I was, uh, I was bleeding from two blood vessels and, and, uh, my daughter, she's a comedian. She goes, well, doctor, he has a lot of room up there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the doctor said, he said, he said, you know, people have your injury, go home, go to sleep and die. You flew around the world, you know? And, uh, and, and my daughter said it again, Well, God's not through with him yet. And I kind of stuck. And I thank you, Jesus. You know, know, I'm okay when you're through. I beat cancer. I beat hepatitis C. I beat brain surgery, you know. And and so, you know, I'm glad he's not through with me. I'll still keep doing his
0: work. I love it, man. So you also beat. A, long, a bunch of long-standing addictions, right? Alcoholism, other sorts of drugs, hard drugs, heroin, weed, and stuff like that, all I've in solitary clean. in the same period.
1: I've been clean now for... It'll be 53 years in August. And uh, and my life would not be the same if I hadn't. You know, I'd still be in drugs or in, I'd still be in prison.
0: But most people can't just get past that sort of a dependency on faith alone. Like just the fact no, that you've got... You, you know, you've made a deal with someone. There's all of these habits. There's a physiological dependency. There's a psychological dependency. There's a cultural impetus to come and do it. How how did you break that?
1: I've been going to 12-step programs since 1968. The first time I ever walked into a 12-step program was in, God, 1959. It was by accident. I thought it was a party. And uh, and literally, uh, but I learned what it was. You understand? And And now... It's like I still I went to a meeting last night, you know, because we're just getting out of this pandemic bullshit, and and now it's like wow we can go to meetings, you know, and 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 so I was seeing some of the friends that I've gotten. Uh, it was like this amazing feeling to to be back in the fold, you know, and so I couldn't have done it alone, no way, and I feel sorry for anybody that does it, alone. and people that try to do it alone, you should see them. Yeah, I'm sober, so what? Okay, I'm clean. They're angry. No. It's like I can't afford that, you know. And uh, resentment, resentment, is like me taking poison, hoping you die. It's absolutely no good whatsoever. It, a resentment only hurts me. So what I have to do, I have to write about resentments and and get them out and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I resented you because I thought you looked at my wife kind of disrespectfully or whatever. And you, hey. No way. I wasn't looking at your wife. I was looking at it. look at that baby behind her. You know? <laughs> and then you know, I'm so there's always a you know, people do things for themselves, not not to me. You understand? You know, I mean if somebody does something to me, then well, hey, wait, well, don't do that. You understand that's the problem. But nine times out of ten, they weren't even thinking about me.
0: It's weird that you can have someone who breaks their drug addiction, perhaps on their own, you know, just mm-hmm. sheer force of will or whatever it might be. But the price that they have to pay for that, because they haven't done it in a program where they have a, a, accountability right. and they have friends and socialize it out of them and let go right. and all that stuff, you can be free from the drugs, but not free from the thing that caused you to want the drugs in the first place.
1: Exactly. The last. That's why the program. That's what the program helps you with. That's what the therapy helps you with is the things that started you on drugs, the things that, see because a lot of people get started on drugs and they just stop because maybe they don't have the same monsters inside that a drug addict has or, or a pill head has, you know, this, I remember Timmy Sanchez, Tim Sanchez, my next door neighbor, my grandma's, I smoked weed, you know what I mean? And then I tried to carry Timmy. On. I turned Timmy on to, we were like, Nine and and he he got sick. He never smoked weed again. Yeah, I don't like it. And yet me, I was I like, would smoke weed. <laughs> you know, I, I I used to steal my uncle's weed. Mikey, give me some coffee weed. I would steal. I would steal my uncle's weed. You know, and and, uh, and I loved it. And then and then later on, you know, it's like you just graduate.
0: All right. So you're out of jail now, and then you become a counselor. You start working, helping people. And then that actually leads you somehow into getting into the movie business.
1: Yeah. One of the guys that I was working with helping stay clean was a an extra. He was like working as an extra. And he got me into working as an extra because you got fifty bucks cash. They used to pay you fifty bucks. And then overtime, you know, you could, God, you know, I'm gonna make about eighty bucks in a night, you know. And so so uh uh, it was cat. Don't tell the IRS. It was cash, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they'll come. Hey, in 1965. You made this much cash, but, uh, but uh, uh, I, uh, I was too, I was trying to do this, and then one night he calls me and says, "Hey, Dan, I'm down here and doing this film. There's a lot of blow down here, man. I'm, I'm kind of worried. I might use." And, and so I went down to hang out with him. I was on that movie anyway, and so I went down there. What did I do? I run into a guy named Eddie Bunker. And I'm looking at him, and I think I know you. He says, hey, you're Danny Trejo. I saw you in the lightweight and the welterweight title up in Quentin. I say, you're Eddie Bunker. What's up, Eddie? My uncle bought a robbery from Eddie Bunker in 1962, I think, right? And uh, and so I we started talking, and and he goes, Yeah, what do you? I, I, I said, What are you doing here, Eddie? He says, I wrote the, I adapted the screenplay, and then. He asked me what I was doing here. I said, "Shit, they're giving me fifty bucks for acting like a convict," and uh, we laughed because we both been being a convict for free forever, right? You know? And she uh, says, uh, "Are you still boxing?" I go, "No, no, I train, man. I don't get hit in the face anymore. I'm forty years old. You, know? you think I want to mess this up anymore?" And he, <laughs> and he, said, he says, "He says, uh, hey." We need somebody to train one of the actors out of box. And I said, What's it pay? Because I'm making 50 bucks a day. And he says, 320 a day. And I said, Eddie, how bad you want this guy beat up? You know, I'm, no, I thought, come on, 320 bucks, to have done it for another 50. And, uh, and he says, uh, no, no, wait, Danny, this actor's really high strung. He might sock you. Hey. For 320 bucks, give him a stick, homie. I've been beat up for free. And I start training an actor named Eric Roberts how to box for the movie Runaway Train. John Voight, Eric Roberts. Brilliant movie. Got nominated for Academy Award. Both Eric and John got nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Brilliant movie. Andre Kajalowski, the director, one of the best directors ever and uh and literally uh um uh, I uh I started training Eric Andre saw that I could handle Eric now the the guy that they had cast to fight Eric in this movie was uh, almost as pretty as Eric and and uh, I mean basically Eric is prettier than his sister and so it was like,
0: <laughs> two pretty no, guys no, up no, against each no, other yeah yeah guys
1: yeah. against each other wait this ain't gonna work you know what i mean and it, it, it looks silly i mean whoa, well, what is this like the battle of the queens or something and just done and uh and then eric wanted to wear these tight shorts and you don't wear tight shorts in prison and uh, but no no i want to wear the okay so. so andre i remember andre kazalowski kept going Contrast, he was a Russian aristocrat. Contrast, contrast, and he would go to Eric, go, Oh, and then he'd go to this other guy, go, Oh, and then, and then he'd go to me, he'd go, he'd go ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Eddie, Eddie, is he making fun of me? Shut up, man, just, just shut up. <laughs> and uh, so I'm waiting there, and he goes, So, uh, Eric says, Okay, well, then I'll fight him. He picks me, right? So so, Andre saw that Eric could do whatever I told him to do, you know, and uh, and he's because he, you know, Eric's a movie star and movie stars can do whatever they want, they're dicks, you know, what I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 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 you know, sometimes they don't feel like working, so they'll just, no, no, I don't, not right now, I don't, I don't know, everybody be waiting, in, you know, and, and uh, and because he's in his trailers, so uh. Andre saw that if I told Eric, come on, let's go, he'd go. Andre comes up to me, Danny, you be in movie. And you fight Eric in movie. And you be my friend. Now, if you come from a prison background, you're a little suspicious when somebody says, you be my friend. And you want to say, look, punk, I ain't going to shower with you. You know what I mean? So so, so, I told Eddie, Eddie, now listen, I'm going to train the kid for 320 because then Andre leans over and he kisses me on one cheek, kisses me on the other cheek, walks away. I said, yeah, I'll train the kid. But I, if I'm going to be kissing that old man, I want more money. And <laughs> <laughs> he says, no, no, he's European. He's European. Know, the European exact- they all do this. it. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so, but let me tell you, when I found out what that old man did with me, for me, uh, give me a, a SAG card, she, he could have kissed me in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, Andre, I love you. I mean, <laughs> that's where I got my SAG card. That's, that's where I, all of a sudden, people, everybody on set, I went from, hey, you, to Mr. Trejo, would you like some coffee? <laughs> yeah, two cups. And, <laughs> and sugar and cream. And give me one of those Pilates, the cookies, you know what I mean? And, and uh, anything is wow. That's when Eddie told me, Listen, the whole world can think you're a movie star, but you can't. And I said, Why? And and he showed me. We walked up to a movie star and we listened to him. We listened to the people around him. Oh, oh, we love you. Oh, we love you. You got such a pretty nose. Oh, look at your eyes. You're so beautiful. And then he walked away. I hate that punk. God, I'd like to kill that son of a bitch. He's entitled you something. Yeah. And I th- wow. I said, my job is to leave every situation that I'm in better than when I got there, no matter what it is.
0: So you were playing a lot of roles as inmate number one or bad inmate. guy number three or whatever it might be. Yeah, Never yeah. number three. Oh, okay, bad, bad guy I'm, number one. <laughs> number
1: two, I, I'll go for a number two. <laughs> okay. you know I mean?
0: <laughs> so, But there must have been a point despite the fact that you're playing a role that you kind of had played for free throughout your life, there still must have been skill acquisition that you needed to do at some point, like remembering lines, you know, just drilling some of the things to do with on set, understanding how to interact with the camera and stuff like that. What were some of the challenges that you had there?
1: I I, got to say that the first five years of my career really was like my training. You know, I was really a glorified extra. I would get called on the set as an as almost like an extra, but I'm sag, so I'm making $320 a day. I'm standing there and the director would inevitably say, Danny, say something prisony. And and they'd always prison-y. take off my shirt. They always wanted to, I'd take off my shirt. They wanted to see the that I'd get on a set, trail, take off your shirt. I, I don't have a set, I don't have a shirt. And hey Danny, say something prisony. And hey, we'll kill all you sons of bitches. Oh my God. Where did you study damn yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Son Clinton. laughs> San Quentin. San Quentin. this one, it was funny because there's one director. I was supposed to kick in this door and uh and they got four stunt people in there, and I'm supposed to rob this this uh what do you call it? This poker game. And I've robbed poker games. So I kicked in the door, I busted this one guy in the mouth, bang, I hit this woman, boom. And then I've got this gun on this big white guy. Move, move, move. I haven't shot a white guy all day. And, and, God, my God, Danny, where did you study? I said, uh, Vons, Safeway, uh, uh, CVS. Uh. <laughs> and he didn't get it. I robbed a couple of poker games. In fact, the 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 robbery that my uncle bought from Eddie Bunker in '62 was a poker game.
0: Been preparing, preparing for twenty years or something and like that. The first Eddie says, "Hey, the first half of your life was a character
1: study. Remember that?" <laughs> and so I mean, I've just been, you you know what? I didn't even know that I was being typecast. I didn't know what typecast was. I make making 320 a day. What do I care about typecast? And the first time I ever got interviewed was like from some little girl, fresh out of interview school or something, right? Because he, he means it. Danny, aren't you afraid of being typecast? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're being stereotyped as the mean Mexican guy with tattoos. I am the mean Mexican guy with tattoo. Shit, what are you talking about? I thought I had a I thought I had a great career going, and now she's gonna tell me I'm a, I'm a typecaster. You know, and you got to remember, everybody is typecast. Tom Cruise is typecast as the leading guy. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I'm not gonna do a whole lot of babysitting, with with, <laughs> no, that's a lie. I did a movie called The Babysitter, and it was like. Uh they called me because they had this real trouble kid and this kid glues my motorcycle to the ground, just does everything. and then <laughs> I end up screaming, running out of the house. I, I forgot what movie it was.
0: So after you've done this stuff, you've been extra-ing and then you must have had a point at which you thought, right, this is getting really serious now. I'm having to learn roles. I'm having to do a little bit more. When did you feel like you'd started to level up?
1: I... I, you know, I, I can remember lines. I I, I heard somebody, Eddie Bunker, I, my mentor, he passed away. If you ever want to read a great criminal novel, read Education of a Felon, Eddie Bunker. Great. Really? Okay. And uh, uh, it was funny. Eddie Bunker said, that this old actor once said, remember your lines and don't bump into the furniture. that was it. And Dennis Hopper, who's a friend of... I just dropped that name. Dennis Hopper said, Trejo, hey, if the scene says you drink water, drink the water. Don't act like you drink the water. You know what I mean? And... I love him. He was awesome, Hopper. He was cool, and so he's one of my best friends. And I, you know, I just learned along the way. So when I got a speaking role, my first real speaking role was with one of my heroes. Walk talked exactly like my uncle Gilbert, guy named Charles Bronson. I did Death Wish four, and I grabbed him. In I'm in a bar. I grabbed him. Hey, don't I know you? And it was like. The director loved. Don't I know you? And pointed at him. He said, "That was cool." And I didn't even know I did it. <laughs> you know, but it was just what I would do when I, you know. And so that was my style. Do what I do, you know. And uh, and he loved it anyway. I got blown up by Charles Bronson. That was another one. It was a good one, you know. And uh, uh, it was a, it was a great scene. You know?
0: What's one John- of you? Or what are some of your favorite deaths? Given that you, the most killed man in Hollywood, what are some of your favorite ones?
1: There's no better death in Hollywood, and it's a fact. When Robert De Niro, I begged Robert De Niro to kill me in Heat, and it was funny because when we did it, I, we're sitting there right before I went into makeup. We're both sitting there, and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob said to me, what do you think, Trail?" I said, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Bob? How should I play this? And he said, I think you're already dead. And you know, I, I, I think you're already dead. And, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you know, uh, you, you just got enough in you to beg me to kill you. You just beg me to kill you. you know? Every breath, you, the more and more you go, you know. And what do you think? You know, I see it the same way, Bob. You, you hit it nail on the Exactly what I was thinking. And so when we did it, it was like you see it. You see we die. You see every breath, everything I say, uh, I die a little more. And then the end, I said, don't leave me like this, Holmes. Don't leave me like this. I swear to God, I have heard that a million times. I have heard that from clerks in the market. I, I've heard that from grandmas pushing their car. Don't leave me like this, Holmes. Don't, leave. you know, in markets, gas stations, everybody remembers that those lines. And thank you, Robert De Niro. <laughs>
0: Big Bob coming in with the advice.
1: <laughs> I wanted to die. You come on again. I want to die like all right, oh this is John Wayne. You know, the way I want to go out, you know. But God, man, it was like my daughter can't watch that scene. She said, No, Daddy, I, I don't want to, I can't. And she'd get up crying simply because she don't you that was your life. That's the way you were supposed to end, dude. You know? And storms out, you know. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, but Bob told me to. So listen to Bob, right? Listen to no, Bob. Yeah, Bob yeah. To. <laughs> you, what was this story about you and Kiefer Sutherland? Didn't you help him out with something? Wasn't yeah, he in
1: some trouble? Kiefer was, uh what was it? I, he had hired some guy that he thought was tough. You know what I mean? Because guys in Hollywood like tough guys around them, but guys they can control. They don't like guys that are... It's like
0: a security type thing?
1: Yeah, right. And so... And this guy ended up to be a total jerk, right? And then they couldn't get him off the set because uh, uh, I think Kiefer promised him a SAG card, and so he, hey, where am I going to get my SAG card? That kind of shit, you know. And when somebody says that, you're supposed to be quiet about it, you know. And and uh, and where am I going to get my line? You know. And, and, uh, and so anyway, they ended up escorting him off the. Escorting him off the uh set. And about two weeks later, uh, I get a call on uh, on uh, George got a call, my friend George Perry got a call, and uh we're down at Venice Beach and and uh George, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Kiefer, what's up? And, hey, you know where Danny's at? Yeah, he's right here. He gives me the phone. We're Ben Dan, I got a problem. I said, What's up? He He's uh, somebody threatened my 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 family, and like what? And said, somebody threatened his family. So he said, I said, "Who?" And he told me, and I said, "Okay, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it." He said, no, no, no. Wait, Dan. Then he got scared. I said, hey, I'll take care of it. No, but wait, I her you want me to take care of it or not? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. And he was panicked, right? But. But he didn't know what take care of it meant, yeah. You know? So, so. Uh, do
0: you think you were going to get this guy whacked?
1: Yeah, I think so. He was he didn't. I don't have to whack anybody. But uh, this this is a whacking, you know. And, and so I I kind of uh, me and George just kind of like told this guy, hey, it's the last thing you want to do, pal. You know, I mean, put a cherry bomb up your ass and light it. And I think two days later, his wife got flowers and. I'm sorry, and uh, I ran into Kiefer. This was 10, 15 years ago. I ran into Kiefer probably five years ago, and I uh, hey Kiefer, what's up? Hey, hey, Trail, wait, wait, hey, I've been meaning to call you. How, how you doing, you? Know? Because. I've helped a lot of people in Hollywood because a lot of them think like I'm some kind of thug or something. And and, and and they they I'll help them. They'll either love me and and, you know, be friends that call up on Thanksgiving and come on over and that kind of, or be scared to death of me you know, and just stay away from me. And I understand because if if you're trying to be a man, if you're a man and you're Hollywood's got you thinking you're really tough, you know, and, uh, and you have to ask for help. And this guy squashes whatever problem you had. Then all of a sudden you're either going to take it as I'm weaker than him or he's my friend, you know. It depends on where your mind is, you know, so...
0: Well, I guess you've got those yes men around people that you were talking about before. It can make that ego very fragile, right? It builds them up. It builds them up. It makes them feel invincible.
1: Right, right. You know what? I don't got no yes men. My assistant is a guy named Mario Castillo that I met in San Quentin when I was doing Blood In, Blood Out. He was a resident. He won't say he was an inmate. I was a resident. I was renting a room. (laughs) And, uh, And if you look at him, if you look at the dictionary, my two best friends are a guy named Mario and Max. And if you look in the dictionary, "Cholo, Killer, Gangster," it's got their pictures. Okay, okay. boom. That's just and both of them came up the same way I did. And uh, you know, it's like uh, we all have like the same respect for each other. You know, whether I work for you or not. You will respect me, you know, period. And and I, and I do, and they respect me. And I uh it's funny the way God works. I met Mario in 1991 and been my friend ever since. He was in Quentin. When he came out, he got clean and sober. And, uh, <clears throat> I lived with him and Max for a while when I went through divorce. Then when I bought a house, he came to live with me because he got sick and lost his job. And I said, Well, work for me. So so, uh, became my assistant and ended up saving my son's life.
0: Talk to me about how much fun it was to do Con Air because that's a lot of big guys, big actors. So funny.
1: That Con Air was so funny. They got all the wannabe tough guys
0: in uh, in
1: Hollywood, right? And put them all on the same plane. And everything was a contest. I mean, if you, <laughs> you would spit. Somebody would spit farther, then everybody would start spitting. A push up, same thing, same thing. All, all this, this, you know, there was a guy there, Benny Yukitas, Benny the Jet. He was a five time world kickboxing champion. And uh, he was a, uh, uh, oh God, what was his name? Con Air, the cop that was a good cop. Uh, John. My God, I can't remember that. Matus, Tuzak, John Cusack, right? John Cusack, yeah. And people don't know it. John Cusack is bad. I mean, this guy, he can, he can, he can bend uh, uh, a heavy bag with his foot. Uh, you know, because because Benny Yukitis was his sensei, and his sensei was also on the. Moon. So every lunch, when everybody started having these contest is Benny Yukitas would come, come on, Danny, and get me and take me. I, what is it, Benny? What, why you keep pulling me away? You know, he said, Danny, you grew up with my brother Mondo. And Mondo was as tough as Benny. You know, Mondo was an adult dope And he said, you're exactly like my older brother. And my older brother was a bad sport and didn't play well with others. Neither do you. <laughs> and he said, and I know those guys, they're playing ha-ha, I beat you games, you know. I don't play. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll, play fun with my kids and people, but but there's no winner, there's no loser, you know, because when you come to a winner and a loser, uh, there's people that don't want to be losers, you know, and that's not good. That's, again, like that resentment you know, that resentment. Resentment, the way resentment works, okay, it's here. And say, like, wow, that guy beat me spitting. Oh, he thinks he's tougher than me. Oh, he probably thinks I'm a punk. Oh, wait a minute. You are a punk. So, no, I don't, you can't let that build. So I understood what Benny was doing, you know?
0: I love it, man. What about Anchorman on set? How was that?
1: <laughs> Funniest guy in the world. I would hate to be that guy. That uh, uh, oh god, I, come on, I can't remember names. But anyway, people would laugh when he would walk into a room. The lead. Who was the lead in Anchorman?
0: That was an,
1: um, My, Will Ferrell, right? Will Ferrell. Okay, he walks in, people start laughing. He has this aura of everybody laugh. And so, but God, he was funny. You know what I mean? And I loved working with him. Well, you've got and the they,
0: alternative, right? He's the one that when everyone walks into a room and they all laugh and you walk into a room and everybody's terrified of you.
1: get quiet. <laughs> but you know, what's funny. In uh, In Blood In, Blood Out, we did... We were La Onda. Our gang was La Onda, you know. And it was patterned after the Mexican Mafia, but we didn't call it the Mexican Mafia. We had gave them that respect. The big problem Eddie did was he didn't get it right, and he called it. Okay, so anyway, I walk into a club, and there'll be like three guys. You can tell three guys from the Mafia. They'll be sitting there, and girls will be sitting around. And they when I walk in, they all stand up and go, la onda. Because <laughs> it was a joke. You understand? They understand. We didn't try to disrespect them. We didn't try to say that their leader got raped. You know, it's bullshit. But, and so it's like I think, you know, so I've lived this life that was Mundo. There's a guy, Mundo, who was one of the top dogs in the mafia. He did a documentary, and he said, Danny Trejo is blessed because people on both sides of the fence respected. that's the biggest compliment anybody could give me you know and and, uh, and uh, I like that. You know, I like being respected on both sides of the fence. I can walk into any prison in the, in the United States and 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 get love. I I, I can go into any neighborhood. You know, and hey. Uh, and that's beautiful. That's that's like what God's given me.
0: Danny Trejo, ladies and gentlemen. Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption and Hollywood will be linked in the show notes below. Hey,
1: you know what? I also I got a record label, Trejo's Music, and we're getting ready to drop a single. And it's called If You Don't Mind, Trish Toledo and Coda the Barber. And I got I've got some singers that are unbelievable. I got I got Jasmine Torres, Diana Gonzalez, and Tara New. So they're gonna we're gonna drop their album pretty soon and it's gonna be awesome. And I just I just wanna keep doing it. And if any of you are in Los Angeles, stop at my restaurant. Treos Tacos, Treos Cantina, hey, call me. I'll Danny, you're you-
0: a sick guy, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank keep on rocking, you, brother. Man.
1: God bless
0: you. Yo, what a sick guy is Danny! I imagine, imagine him being a grandfather. Imagine what that would be like—terrifying. Anyway, don't forget that you can receive a thirty-seven percent discount site-wide on everything from my protein by going to bit dot L-Y slash modern wisdom. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash modern wisdom and the code modern wisdom at checkout for that 37% or greater discount. And you can take charge of your mental health by going to betterhelp.com slash modern wisdom. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash modern wisdom for 10% off your first month. Peace.